Hello, my name is Tim Schwartz, and welcome to the Life After Blindness Spotlight. This is the podcast where I interview someone who is connected to the blind and visually impaired community. Join me as we explore their journey with a life after blindness. This week, my guest is a blogger and podcaster from girlgoneblind.com, Maria Johnson. My name is Tim Schwartz, and welcome to another episode of the Life After Blindness Spotlight. This week, I'm joined by a woman who is married and a mother of two. She's a blogger, podcaster, radio contributor, and also a group fitness instructor. She can be found at girlgoneblind.com. She is Girl Gone Blind, Maria Johnson. Maria, thank you so much for being on the Life After Blindness Spotlight. Well, hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Now, Maria, as you know, I've been wanting to have you on for such a long time. We've had you on the regular you know, episodes of the podcast to talk about you know, you being a group fitness instructor and, and other things. And uh, so I'm just really happy to finally be able to you know, have time to, to sit down and just talk with you about your life because you went blind later in life, but your story before, during, and after, I just think is really interesting and really compelling and, and something that I, I really, a story that I really want people to listen to because I think there's a lot there that people can relate to and and understand uh, in their own lives. Uh, and so like I always uh, want to do when talking with somebody, especially somebody who's gone blind later in life, let's go back to, we don't have to go back to the very beginning. You know, we don't have to go back to the day of birth, but uh, talk to me about where you're from, where you grew up. Well, I am from and I was born in Coronado, California, which is a city in the San Diego area. It's a beautiful okay. city that's surrounded uh, by ocean on one side and the bay on the other. I, it, was, it was lovely growing up Sounds there. Sounds nice, yeah. Yeah, it was great growing up there as a kid. Um, you know, back in the day, you know, where we... We rode bikes everywhere, no cell phones. No, we played till the lights went, you know, the street lights came on. Um, yeah, it was a great, it was a, it was great. I went all through uh, my schooling there, all through high school. Um, it's a great place to live, you know, growing up. And Absolutely. Sounds like it. So then while you're growing up there, tell me about the Maria of those days then. What were your interests? What were the things that you did uh, to pass the time, the different things that you like to do? Well, you know, besides hanging out with my girlfriends and uh, riding bikes to the beach, we would spend, you know, every summer, you know, every day on the beach um, because it is a beach town. It's a huge tourist attraction. And um, but in school, I was I was I was really into journalism and I actually was on the yearbook all through junior high. Yeah, they had junior high back then and um, all through high school. And I loved the graphic arts um, so much that I actually was the uh, editor my senior year of the yearbook. And I, I knew that I wanted to do something like that for a career. Um, I wanted to be involved in the graphic arts. I wanted to be involved in maybe um, production of, of books or something to that effect. I didn't know what was out there, but I knew I wanted to be involved in printing and the graphic arts. Now, going from that and having that experience in high school, then 
uh, transitioning into becoming an adult, because we still obviously aren't to your loss of vision yet, uh, you did go to college. Talk to me about those years. What, what was your interest there, and uh, what did you go to college for? Well, I went to uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, um, that is in uh, Central California, and I majored in graphic communications with an emphasis in graphic design. And basically, what that is, it's printing. Um, it was the whole printing process, and um, with again emphasis with doing design work. I love graphic design. I love typography and photography and color and and illustration. I loved all of it, and I had. I had a great time in college. Um, I, you know, I met some great people. Sure. Yeah, I mean, when I say when I say great, um, I had a great time. In <laughs> um, you know, it was the first time I had moved. I moved away from from Coronado, from the San Diego area, and I went straight up to college the summer after high school. You know, moved into the dorms, and that was it. And um, I was there. Oh, I think I was on the five-year plan. Um, you know, I, I don't know how that happened, but um, I worked at an <laughs> art store most of the time I was there. Um, I worked in uh, the graphics department, if you will. Um, I loved it because I got a discount on all my supplies and um, all of all the things that I needed to complete my schoolwork. Um, but you know, San Luis Obispo, if anyone's listening, um, is such a great town. It's really, really grown. It's been you know a number of years since I've you know I've been there, but. Um, um, it was a it it was a true college town, and um, if I could have Tim gotten a job up in that area, I probably would have. But there was really? there was really nothing. Yeah, there's really nothing um, to uh, as far as industry um, in that area. So um, I had a great college. I had a great college experience. Uh, absolutely, I loved it. Loved it. So it sounds like so, as you're you know growing up out there with the just the beautiful you know, landscape that you're in, you got the beach there and just the, you know, that, that whole California vibe going on. But then sounds like all, in addition to that, even through high school and college, you've kind of got a little bit of a creative gene or creative bug going on with the journalism and the graphic design and, and that whole thing. I mean, is that, is that accurate to say that you kind of, you know, felt like you had a creative, uh, you know, something creative to get out and put out there in the world? Yeah, yeah, I, I love, yeah, I loved, um, you know, doing uh, drawings. And I mean, I wasn't an illustrator or, you know, a painter or anything like that. I was more like, a, you know, designing like, um, you know, book layouts and advertisements and, um, you know, uh, you know, more, t almost more technical type drawings. Um, but but creative, but creative. Um, I I love type. I loved um, the the millions and millions of fonts that are out there. I, I really really loved working with different types of topography, and um, you know that kind of thing always really stood out. And I would be able to eyeball a font and know exactly what the name was, and um, italic or bold or serif, sans serif, all that stuff. And I loved just you know when I would have to do design projects. You know, I, you know, I loved a job well done. That's for sure. So, um, yeah, I had a, a very creative, very visual, very creative. Um, and I loved the, um, the printing industry. Cause I, again, that was the main, the, the main major and I loved producing printed, printed material. Um, so 
I was hoping that I would get a job in that industry, obviously. And back then, it was a lot easier to get a job, you know, coming out of college. Uh, it was way easier. And by, you know, by graduation, um, I basically had a several job offers to go work at very large printing companies um, in, you know, a couple were offers in production, some were in sales, um, customer service, that kind of thing. But I ended up um, up in Los Angeles at a large printing company and I was um, I was a inside sales rep Um meaning I just took phone calls and things and I worked in sales, but all of my printing knowledge um, came in handy because I knew the process and also my design knowledge came in handy because I'd be working with customers who would come into the, the, um, the company and I would be able to help them with any design issues or, Hey, you know, this might look better. I wouldn't actually do the design, but you know, I could actually, you know, do a little consultation, you know, with them on that too. So, um, yeah, so I, I landed in Los Angeles after, um, spending time up in central California and, um, you know, I was, I, I was in it. I was, I was in the industry and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Now, that creativity that you had all through high school and college that we've talked about that brought you into Los Angeles, and even though you were doing sales, like you said, you could still apply that creativity. Talk to me about the next step or two in that journey of the other jobs or careers that you had along the way and, and what else you kind of get into using that creativity. I was at this one company, um, like I said, my first job for uh, many, many years. And um, then I moved on and I did actually end up working in the production department at another printing company here in San Diego. I, I had gotten married and I'd moved to San Diego, still working for the company in LA, but um, moved on. And, you know, I was just, I was, I was really wanting a change. Um, I was, I just, I just, it, you know, the printing industry is, is a pretty stressful industry. Um, it's a product, things have to be done. There's deadlines, there's, you know, it's, it's pretty stressful. So I was working with a really, really large client who I thought would be a great place to go work quite honestly. And they were a Halloween costume design company. This is my and, favorite part of your story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, we did all of the, uh, the company I worked for, we did all of the inserts that you find in Halloween costume packages that you see hanging on the wall, yeah. um, you know, come Halloween time. Um, all of those inserts um, for one of the largest Halloween companies, I'm not even sure if they're still around, um, we did all of the inserts for every costume they did, you know, new and old and whatnot. So, um, and it was great. Uh, I loved it. So I ended up leaving that the printing company and going to work for actually one of our clients um, in their production department. So I could not only help them with their, you know, the printing scheduling and things of that sort, but I also got into doing photo shoots, hiring models, getting samples out to um, Disney or, you know, Quixar, whoever we were doing the costumes for, you know, we'd be doing them like a year in advance. Sometimes we were doing costumes for movies that hadn't even come out yet. And, wow. you know, yeah, because they had to be ready for that Halloween rush. If the movie was coming out in the summer, you better have costumes ready come October. So, um, oh yeah, all the way from the mask making, uh, molds, you know, that we would send off, I think, to China to have the masks made, to um, seamstresses and, and designers um, creating the costumes and the fabrics, to, you know, hiring the models and doing the photo shoots of children and adults in these costumes. So it was a whole nother world. And 
I, it was great. And when people would say like, oh, what do you do? And I go, well, I work for a Halloween costume company. What? Really? That was <laughs> so fun. Like, just like your reaction, like, this is so great. This oh, is my yeah. Favorite. And I was able to, and my kids were little at this time, or actually, um, my son was little cause I hadn't had my daughter yet. And I could, you know, when they had samples that were no longer used or useful because they were making changes, whatnot, you know, I was able to bring things home, not only for like my neighbor's kids and, and my friend's kids, you know, costumes because little kids, I mean, you have a daughter, they love to dress up. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, I was able to bring, I mean, I had more dress-up clothes than, you know, any normal person should have for their kids. But um, You, you know, haven't seen my house. <laughs> oh, well, then again, you know, Halloween <laughs> enthusiasts. <laughs> um, and all the way to props, to masks, to hats, to, you know, just the most random stuff, even adult stuff, you know. So I always had a cool costume, you know, when I worked there. I spent many years as Corella DeVille, you know, had the, <laughs> the entire costume get up in my course my kids. My kid one year was a Dalmatian, so it was awesome. Um, but I um, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. But then I got pregnant with my daughter, and I decided that once it was time to go on maternity leave, and you know things, you know due date was near, um, that I was gonna, if I could, and it worked out, I was going to uh, stay at home with my kids. So I ended up leaving the company, and uh, that's what I did. I ended up. Um, being a stay-at-home mom, uh, having my daughter and my son was uh, about six at the time. So, you know, those young ages. Well, like I said, that's one of my favorite parts about your story is just that that whole experience getting to do the Halloween uh, distributing and, and modeling and, and design and all that as people that know me know I am such a Halloween freak have been since I was uh, you know really little kid and even into an adulthood I'm, I'm not embarrassed to, to say it I'm, I'm not ashamed I love Halloween I love everything Halloween so I just I just love that that you were able to take even in a way your journalism experience and interest in, in doing the printings and things I mean it's not journalism but it's still printing it's still mm-hmm. putting something yeah. out there in a printed form and writing those things and and then yeah. just the whole design of it and the graphic design and so you really were able to take so many different facets of your creativity and pour it into something that sounds interesting sounds like you enjoyed it and and and, and loved it maybe in a way so um, so yeah it's, I think it's a great outlet for your experiences and what you enjoyed to do but like you said then you got pregnant with child number two and a little bit more difficult at that point my wife is a stay-at-home mom so I, I definitely understand that transition in in a person's life and so from there after having two kids and uh, deciding to take a step away from that industry your decision in careers took a little bit of a different turn talk with me a little bit about where you went after your child number two I kind of had to let myself go a bit, if you will. And, you know, I, you know, I had a lot of, you know, some time on my hands. My son was in kindergarten at the time and, you know, I had this little baby, you know, and, um, you know, to keep my own sanity, um, as well as everyone else's, um, as new mothers or even second time, third time mothers, um, you know what you need to, you know, you need to keep busy and you also need to do things that are going to, um, clear your head or, um, you know, get your fresh air, take some time for yourself or throw that baby in a stroller and start walking. And that's what I did. I started walking and I, I started going, you know what? I can do this. I couldn't go very far because I actually was quite pretty heavy. Um, but I, I, there was a, there was a point where I said, you know what, it, it's time to, to, 
you know, it's time to take better care of myself. It's time for me to take control of my health. And I, I can actually remember the day that I decided that. I remember what I was wearing. I remember I remember exactly where I was and I decided to get healthy and I started to get really, really interested in health and nutrition and fitness. And it was all so that I could get my health and weight under control so that I could, you know, be the mom I really wanted to be. And I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I, um, I started really getting into the health and fitness and I, um, I ended up joining, uh, our local, gym. It was kind of a smaller, medium community sized gym. And, um, I ended up joining that and I thought, you know, I'm going to do this and, uh, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And honestly, I didn't last a couple weeks. It was too hard. I didn't like it. No one encouraged me. It wasn't, um, an inviting environment. I, I don't know what it was, but I felt like nobody cared if I was in the room. I was struggling through classes. You know, I didn't have very big, much confidence in myself because of, you know, my health. And I just made up some excuse. I don't even know. And I quit. You know, I quit within weeks and said, I'm out of here. This isn't for me. So I ended up just trying to do everything on my own. And, you know, after I lost some weight and, and got myself together and, you know, my kids are getting older and they're able to do a little more on their own and that kind of thing, I actually went back to the gym that I quit and joined again. This time, though, I had gotten a little bit more fit, and I was able to do the classes, and I loved it. I've always loved group fitness, even way back in the day. I did, uh, you know, I did uh, group fitness in college, just as a, a member. I wasn't an instructor. Um, I did it in my years in Los Angeles. I loved it, but I had just, you know, with becoming, you know, becoming a mom, I had really just let myself go, and. Plus, you know, I was at home, and maybe you know, there was a little depression going on, and you know, some mental stuff, but. I started, I just started finding my love for fitness and there came a time where I had the opportunity to go through a instructor training to become a certified instructor. And I thought, well, I love being in front of a class because I was a front row diva and there's anyone listening who <laughs> takes group fitness classes, you know who the front row divas are. And yes, I was one of them. I wanted to be as close to the instructor as possible. Um, I, I, you know, I just, I wanted to be the instructor and coming maybe from a sales background, I was used to being in front of people and I thought, you know, maybe I can do this. Now, granted, it was as far away as you possibly can be from the graphic arts and design and production and all that fun stuff. But as we know, both you and I, Tim, life takes its path wherever it's going to go. And yes, you know it what? Does. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to go with it. So I did the training and I became certified and I was like, well, I did it. You know, this is awesome. And then I thought, well, okay, that's good. I, I did it, but I didn't have a class to teach for a week. I didn't have a class because I had my own class within a week and I had to fill us some pretty big shoes of some instructor that was leaving and I was a wreck. Anyway, oh, I, um, oh, God. you know, when you have all these students looking at you going, who are you? And, and I'd never really taught a class before. I'd taken a hundred million classes, but I never taught one. Um, although I learned how, um, you know, it was, oh boy. I mean, it was nerve wracking. So I took the class and I started teaching and I've never looked back. I have, I have been teaching now for almost 15 years, and I've taught many, many formats. I've taught at many different gym locations, and I even started not too long ago 
my own boot camp with a friend of mine. And we had a um, boot camp we ran a couple mornings a week. Um, and kind of was hoping, I was just kind of getting that off the ground, kind of make a go of it. Um, you know, we're struggling a bit, but you know, consistency pays off at some point, we were hoping. And, um, but we loved doing it. We loved doing it. And we both were both committed to this, um, this, these, this fitness goals we had. You know, we had some ideas about going into business, more business together. Um, but I, I never looked back after I became certified, uh, many, many, many years ago. And I was able to become, you know, much more fit and healthy and live that lifestyle. And, um, that's where I've stayed, you know, ever since then. So as you transitioned from this sales and creative world of being in, you know, the different industries you were in and then being a stay at home mom and realizing, okay, I've got to take care of myself. I've got to do something here. And you literally went from, you know, that, that person in the back row trying to just hide and blend in and just say, oh, yeah, I'm here, sure, to being, as you said, the front row diva, to then being the class teacher, the class instructor. And as you said, for 15 years now, you've been doing that. But talk to me, what hap- talk to me about what happened about, oh, year 11 or so that made a drastic impact on how you approached teaching your, your group fitness. Well, I, um, you know, was doing, doing my thing and yes, taking over classes here and there. I was up, I, you know, there was weeks I would teach, you know, two classes a day, maybe three plus the boot camp. I mean, we, I was everywhere and, um, you know, driving everywhere, different locations and all, like I said, and you know, there came a time when I started to notice something kind of weird about my vision, just one eye, just one eye. And I just, you know, I just thought, oh, that's, that's kind of weird. And, you know, other than being, you know, an instructor and working, I was also really, really active in my kids' schools. I was um, not only active in my, um, my daughter's, you know, middle school, but also my kids, uh, my son's high school years. Super active. Like, literally, I spent almost more hours there than I did teaching. It was like a part-time job for free. And um, I, my kids were both in marching band. Any marching band moms out there, you know what I'm talking about. It's an incredible amount of work to do, to get a marching band, um, on a field and off the field and doing a whole season of marching band. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, um, I was in charge. I was the uniform chair. I took care of over 150 uniforms for these kids. I, you know, every aspect of them, I had a team, the whole deal. So I spent many, many hours there as well. So I was teaching and doing all of this. You know, I, I, I couldn't pay attention to this little blurry spot in my eye and I didn't. I didn't pay attention to it. Uh, I let it go for probably a month at least. Before, you know, I was changing my contacts out because I did wear glasses. I was cleaning my sunglasses. I was cleaning the windshield. I was like, "What is, what is wrong with that? I just, I, I can't get it to go away." So when I really realized, staring in the mirror one day, I had no contacts in, and I cover one eye, you know, fine, look good. Then I cover the other one. I go, "Gosh, there's that." weird blurry spot but I keep moving my head and that blurry spot was still there and it would never go away I and that's when it, I kind of got nervous and I went you know what I I think I better call my optometrist and that's when the medical mystery tour started was <laughs> with that <laughs> with that phone call and going yeah I need to get in like now because there's something wrong with my eye and I was sure like everyone else that gets in my position um I just need a new prescription or I just need some eye drops or, 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 you know, and that's what I truly, truly thought. But this, 
but I still, I still kept teaching, you know, I, I still kept teaching. I didn't let, I didn't let this little vision thing get in the way of anything, you know, nothing. That was when it all started. And that was in, uh, April of 2013. Um, started noticing things in March, but I didn't really, I didn't really do anything till around the end of April when I finally made that call. Cause I realized, wow, something's really up with that. Um, so that's when it all started, uh, 2000, uh, April, 2013. Uh, how long of a medical mystery tour did you have to go through before they realized what it was? And once they did, what, what is your diagnosis? Well, it took from April to the end of September. Um, and that was those months in between were several, several, several doctors, um, many, many appointments, Many, many blood tests, MRIs, MRAs, visual fields, which, you know, we all hate, mm-hmm. um, you know, shooting dye in the eyes, you know, you know, just pictures and pictures and pictures, um, visits up to Los Angeles to other doctors back, you know, the whole thing. And nobody could figure it out. Nobody. And they could see something was going on with my optic nerve, but I had no other symptoms of any kind, you know, they, you know, they thought, oh, MS or, um, optic neuritis, you know, or optic neuropathy with no known cause. They just couldn't figure it out. I was totally healthy and there was nothing coming back showing what was wrong. So I, my doctor that I ended up finally with, and who is now my current doctor, I didn't get to him because of just typical, you know, again, medical mystery tour. I didn't get to him until the beginning of September. And he ran all the tests, all the gamut. And they, but there's one test he wanted to run that nobody else ran. And that was a DNA test. And he was testing me for a mitochondrial disease, which is basically a, a mutation in your uh, genetic mitochondria, DNA. And it's called Labor's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy. And it causes sudden you know, uh, what is it? Uh, painless, sudden central vision loss. And that's all it does for the most part. I mean, generally, and it can only be diagnosed by a DNA test where they have to actually go and do the DNA and they have to look for the mutations. And September 24th, um, 2013, I got a phone call and I'd been seeing him and he'd been like, you know, really hoping we were going to fight this battle of the vision loss. But when that DNA test came in, he called me at home and he said, I got your DNA test back and it's positive for labor's hereditary optic neuropathy or LHON for short, because that's a mouthful. Um, and he had spoken to me about it, but he was sure I didn't have it. He was like, I'm, I'm sh- almost sure you don't have it, but I'm not ruling anything out. Luckily, luckily, many doctors will look at a woman who is 50 years old and think there's no way it's labors because labors typically hits males and younger males, um, typically teens through maybe, um, through like 30. That's when it typically hits and it's the males, not women who are older. You don't, you rarely see it. So I was really lucky that he chose to do the DNA test and I could get that answer, even though it wasn't the answer he wanted because there is no treatment, sure. there is no cure. Right. And he said, I'm glad we figured out what you have, but I'm sorry you have this. And then he asked me, I know you have kids, remind me how old they are. And I told him my daughter was 
uh, 14 and my son was 19 and he said, okay, this is hereditary, but what I want you to do, I don't want to overwhelm you. I want you to look this up. I want you to start reading about it. And he goes, and I'll call you in a couple days. And I just kind of went, oh, okay. And I'm writing all this information down. And I'm like, and I could still see my, my left eye had started to go by this point because it always happens in one eye and then it happens in the other within weeks to a couple of months. So my second eye had started to go um, by this point, but I could still see enough to write and drive and, and I was still doing a lot of that stuff. And of course, I was the t- type that thought, well, this isn't going to be a big deal. <laughs> I got this, you know, I, this is not a big deal. If my vision stays just like this, I can handle it. You know, I'm driving, I'm still doing everything I was doing before. And, um, so, so that's when it all hit. And, but I really had no idea, Tim, what I was really, really in for. I had no idea that, that I had passed this down to my children. So my children are carriers of this mutation and it is carried down the maternal line. And so my mother is a carrier, her mother is a carrier, and but I was the first one to present blindness in our family tree. We don't really know anyone else that's blind. And so it also meant my sister was a carrier and her children are carriers. So what it means that when you're a carrier is that you're fine, you you have your sight and you're not affected, but Males have a 50% chance of going blind during their lifetime. Females, 10%, because they believe that female hormones are a protector somehow for women. That's why they're a low percentage now, like 10%. But as soon as you hit that lovely era of menopause, all of a sudden the hormone levels drop. And then women are opened up they go up to the 50% risk and that's where I was at. And because, and, and there's, there's all kinds of triggers and it, it won't get into all of that kind of thing, but I was taking an antibiotic, which is an absolute no, 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 no. Don't take that. If you're a carrier, but of course I didn't know because I didn't know I was a carrier. Right. Um, and you. that is probably what, um, this particular antibiotic is very mitotoxic, they call it, um, and it triggered the mutation to take effect. And oh, wow. that's what triggered me to lose my vision. So in turn, um, there's a whole list of drugs that anyone in my family or any carriers um, are not allowed to take because the mitochondria, it, it, the mitochondria doesn't like it. It kind of pisses them off and they get mad and they, and they mutate and the mutations just trigger and they go. And the cells, the cells in the optic nerve, the nerve fibers start to dysfunction and die. So most, a lot of the nerves in the optic, the, a lot of the nerves, fibers in the optic nerve and the cells, they die. But then some of them just kind of dysfunction and go to sleep. And, but not a whole lot. And, and sometimes people do get a little recovery when those sleeping mitochondria wake up and start to make power again. But it's, you know, it's never going to be enough to drive. It's, it's maybe going to like, wow, well, wow, I can kind of see that five on the $5 bill, just a hair better. That's about it. So it's, it's a very, it's rare, it's complicated, and it's random. And the doctors don't know why it hits some and not others. 
for someone like myself who lost their vision much earlier in life, but with a similar situation, one of my first actual diagnoses was labors. They thought because of everything you just described fit my situation with my mother and me and being and her being a carrier. And so they, they thought at first that's what my situation was. Now, that's not what I have. Uh, I do not have the same uh, eye disease. Mine's the op- more with the optic nerve, and people can listen to my uh, discussion that I did on that way back on one of the other Spotlight interviews. But um, but I, I'm familiar with this because of what exactly what you're saying. And, and so going through that, where here you are, you know, you've got your, your husband and your children, got this whole brand new career you've been doing for 11 years, and all of a sudden you're going through this transition, and not just for yourself, but as you said, for your, your family, for your sisters who's a, a carrier, for your children that potentially could end up, you know, in this situation, and knowing, okay, this isn't just going to potentially affect me, this is going to affect a lot of other people visually, but then, as you know, it also affects other people emotionally on a daily basis, even if they don't lose their vision at all, they're right there alongside you every day. So mm-hmm. talk to me about that part of this transition with your family and, and uh, you know, just going through all of this together and, and where you came out on the other side of it. Well, of course, you know, it was a total shock, you know, and I think that's just what happened is I, I think I actually just went into shock. Um, the night I got that phone call, I actually was going out with a bunch of girlfriends <laughs> and I actually went. I hung up the phone. My friend was due to pick me up within like 10 minutes. I told my husband, I'm like, wow, I, I guess I have this L thing, uh, whatever. And, you know, I, I said, but I got to go. And I left. And I kind of told my, you know, close girlfriends in the car, just a few of them, I'm like, God, you know, I, I just got my diagnosis. And, I don't know what it all means, but, you know, I think it affects my children and I don't really know. And I ended up going out for the evening. Um, and I literally was just, I kind of went to, I don't know. I, I think it was just sheer shock of like not really grasping it. But, you know, as we were talking about before, this is all happening and I am still teaching group fitness. I was not going to let any of this stupid vision stuff take me away from something I love to do. You know, it was me. It's, you know, how I had reinvented myself, if you will. And I would come to classes with, you know, my one eye dilated, the other eye not, you know, I, you know, I mean, crazy. And people would be like, hey, what's going on? I go, I don't know. They're not, they're figuring it out. No big deal. Let's go. Let's, let's do class, you know, kind of thing. I did have to scale back from all the locations I was teaching at because of transportation. I I just couldn't get anywhere because, you know, I had to stop driving. And I knew that if I couldn't get, anywhere that I wasn't going to be able to teach. So I did, um, we did kind of dismantle the boot camp, if you will, because that just kind of started falling apart and I wasn't able to do what I was able to do. And I, I zeroed in my classes to one location, which is the one I started at, you know, many, many, many years ago, you know, quit, then restarted. Now I teach there. Um, and I said to my class, you know, I knew it was close to when I wasn't going to be able to drive. And, you know, I basically, I cut class early And I said, I need to talk to you all. And I tried to hold my composure. And I've known a lot of these people the entire time I've been teaching. And they're community members, they're friends, they're moms of kids that go to school with my kids. And I told them the story and I told them what I'd found out. And I said, I didn't know how much longer I'm going to be able to come here because I'm not going to be able to drive. I I think that's coming. And, you know, I'm not going to be able to teach. And I was teaching four classes a week at this point because I'd cut back. 
And by the time I left class, Tim, I had had a student volunteer, a different student volunteer for each class I taught during the week. And I walked out that door and I had transportation to every class. That's and amazing. One, yeah, I, overwhelming it was. Overwhelming. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. A problem that I thought was so huge in my mind ended up not being a problem at all because I because people wanted to help me. And they said, you've helped us. You come here every week and you've helped us. The least we can do is help you. And we want you as our instructor. We don't want somebody else. So we're going to get you here. And they bring me home. And that is how I've been getting to the gym for the last almost four years now is the same people still mm. take me Incredible. and bring me home. I mean, it is, it's, it's still overwhelming. I'm, I find myself throwing bottles of wine in the back of their car going, thanks. <laughs> and I, you know, and you know, in different goodies and lotions and soaps and flowers. And they're like, you don't have to do that for us. I go, yes, I, for me, I do. I need to know that I'm, I'm giving back somehow some way, you know, a little token here and there to say thank you um, for something that they don't have to do. And but they're good people, they're good women, and I adore every one of them. So I, I was covered there, you know. But then you know the family, you know, the other part of my life, and you know I did have to step back from a lot of my volunteering. Obviously, um, a lot of it, a lot of it was visual. Couldn't do that. Um, and as far as all that went, I still stayed a part of the marching band family. I. I never missed a tournament. I still went. I couldn't see the kids on the field. But you know what? My kid was on the field. And I wanted my kid to know I was still there no matter what. And I would actually watch uh, the marching band do their thing through my iPad, through the camera, zooming in. It wasn't good because my vision's kind of really blurry. But you know what? I was in the stands. And I would sit there and feel sorry for myself for a little bit. But then I realized, you know what? I'm here because I want I want to show the rest of these people that I'm okay and I'm doing this. Plus, I wanted my son or daughter, whoever it was. Oh, it's actually my daughter because my son was already graduated. I wanted her to know that, you know what, I'm going through this, but she was important enough to me for me to, you know, get off of my sad, sorry butt and come here and, and be there for her. And and that's what got me to a lot of those um tournaments and experiences. And, um, I didn't want her to think like my mom's blind, which is hard enough. And she's not here anymore. She can't do anything anymore and she won't come anymore. That was not going to be me. So, um, people would say, people would say to me like, Maria, we didn't expect anything less of you. Of course you're here. You know, of course you are. And they would even save me a seat at the top of the bleachers at the football games. They would like kick people out going, no, 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 that's saved. That's saved. And I'd here I'd come with my cane, you know, cause didn't want me walking down the bleachers. So they always saved my seat for me. That was my seat. <laughs> and, um, which was again, overwhelming how sure. kind and helpful people were because, you know, it, it's hard to ask for help. So I didn't even have to ask. They just did it. So, um, you know, so the family, you know, my son, um, he was 19 he was in college and he, you know, it was hard, but he of course dealt with it differently than my 14 year old. And, um, I had to both, I had to tell them both that not only this is what I have, but that they were carriers and that, you know, and what that meant. And, um, and I told them both very differently, uh, obviously for the age appropriate. Sure. Um, 
and any and I think with any child, if you need to tell them some sort of news like this, you need to know what the you know if it's age appropriate, if if you can wait on it because they're only six and they're not going to quite get the medical part of it, then just wait. You know if it's not necessary, but um, you know it's important for you to tell them the way they're going to understand it that their age, and um, so. I didn't want to scare the kids either. So, you know, we told them, you know, very like, hey, this is it. And there's some things we need to stay away from, like, hence the mitotoxic things. Um, also, uh, we are to stay away from binge, binge drinking. Okay, not a problem. Because mm-hmm. um, binge drinking is very toxic on the body. Sure. And also uh, smoke of any kind, because that is an oxidative stressor, and it will stress out the mitochondria and the cells of the body. And you don't want your cells stressing out because they trigger. So smoke of any kind, we're talking bonfires, barbecues, you know, cigarette smoke, anything. And, um, you know, you just don't be in the line of the smoke. Now, have I held my kids back from going to a bonfire? No. Um, but they know stand, you know, away from the smoke. Like if it's blowing that way, you go stand over that way, you know, kind of a thing. If we're barbecuing outside, you know what? Kids just stay inside till we're done barbecuing. Um, have we roasted marshmallows outside on our fire pit? Yeah. Yeah, we have. Um, but you know what? We're careful. You know, we're careful about it. And I should hope to God at my, I show my God, my kids aren't binge drinking, so I don't think they <laughs> Hopefully are. Hopefully not. Right. Uh, I don't think they are, but you know, so we had to have those hard conversations with them, and um, you know, my husband, um, you know, he didn't sign up to have a blind wife, and you know, but I have had to remind him I didn't sign up to be blind either. So you know what? When it came down to it, we had to remember to be angry at the disease, not at me. And, you know, that, you know, that was, uh, that was a little bit difficult at first because it was, I needed all this help doing things. And, you know, they weren't used to helping mom do all these things. My husband had to start driving my daughter everywhere. I wasn't used to that either. I couldn't read stuff. I needed someone to read, you know, all these things because I didn't really know about technology in the beginning. Of course, you know, you don't know any of that stuff. So, you know, it was a huge family adjustment. And, you know, my kids... We have both been, you know, have done some counseling. Um, my daughter, uh, she has had several really big breakthroughs with me where she has, you know, told me how angry she is and she's so sorry this happened to me and she felt she had to be the strong woman in the house and all these things that a 14, 15 year old that should not have to burden themselves with. And, um, you know, and I tried to be the super mom, but then everyone would leave for school and everyone would go on to work and then I'd. I'd break down and that's when I'd have my time to like, you know, really freak out about it. And, um, so it has been a long process, uh, for sure. But as, as the years go, Tim, and I'm sure you found it with yourself, you know, you learn to cope, you learn to, uh, deal with things, you learn how to do things and you become stronger and more confident. And then, you know, you hold your head up a little higher, you're, you know, you uh, get used to doing things on your own, trying to learn those um, uh, skills for independence uh, on everything that you can possibly do. Um, obviously, I'm never going to drive again, but, you know, that's that's just not going to happen. And, um, you know, so the family has definitely had to readjust. My kids don't have any blind uh, friends who have blind parents. So they have definitely had a different, you know, last four years. Um, but I think my kids are are 
are stronger, more empathetic, more compassionate than probably a lot of kids out there because they have had to deal with me. And now, you know, now I'm just, you know, now I'm the crazy blind mom. I mean, these kids are Snapchatting me on their Snapchats. They're Instagramming me. I don't even know half the time, Tim, they're taking my pictures. can't see them. <laughs> right. Or they're videotaping me. And they're like, oh, our friends love you. And I go, do I actually have my own account that I don't know about, like my blind mom? So, you know, they're pretty used to it now. And I know they're both really, really proud of me. I mean, they've told me at times, you know, they don't tell me every day, but... I think they pretty think I'm pretty rock star for, you know, kind of making it through when honestly, I didn't think I'd make it through. I, I really, really didn't. Um, it was, it hit me very, it hit me hard, 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 hard. And, um, you know what? It, it just takes a lot of time. And, and that's why I tell people it takes time and it's taken my family time to grow accustomed to this, to not get impatient with me or upset with me because I need help. It's taken time for me not to get impatient and upset because no one will help me. Um, and um, yeah, it's a family affair. Just like I think a family hit with any kind of, you know, um, tragedy, if you will, because, you know, in my mind, this was a tragedy, you know, it, it was, and, um, a very unexpected tragedy. Um, and it can either tear a family apart or it can bring them together or it can, you know, it's a work in process. I really was worried. I wasn't going to be able to be a good mom in the beginning. And, um, I don't know if you had those worries, you know, before you had your daughter, like, how am I going to be a good dad? Oh, how am I yes. going to be Mom, you know, how am I going to, you know, and here I was, I had older kids. I don't know how I do it with a toddler or a baby. I mean, I, I really, I mean, I give kudos to, uh, to, you know, blind parents of, of newborns and things like that. I mean, I just don't know how they do it, but they do it. Now, you know, I had a teenager, a girl going into high school. That was traumatic enough. Um, and, uh, I didn't, you know, how am I going to do all the things a mom does? And I remember having a, a pivotal moment with my therapist because trust me, I did about a year and a half of therapy and I'm totally open about it. And I think I am, you know, I, it was the best thing I ever did, not only individual, but I did group therapy and um, group support. And my therapist said when I was just sit there tears thinking, how can I be a good mom? I mean, I'm ruining my kids. I can't be the mom I could be. You know, what good am I? You know, all of the above. And, you know, I, I was so on track. Things were so good. I was at the top of my game. And now this, and I'm just, I can't, I can't be a mom. How can I be a blind mom? And she said to me, because I was so distraught, I guess, <laughs> not only did she hand me like 17 boxes of tissues at this point, hmm. but she said, Maria, she said, your kids would rather have a blind mom than no mom. Exactly. And she correlated that with her mom who had recently passed from cancer she said, I'd rather have my mom with cancer, you know, than no mom. And, you know, of course, both now we're both sobbing. And, <laughs> um, but it was a moment that I went, she's right. She's right. I, I, I can't, you know, I got to be, I got to be good for, I got to do this for my kids. So, you know, that was a big moment, a huge moment. And I've used that line with other moms who think that they're not doing their job and they're not going to be doing a good job or they're having a bad day or a bad moment or a bad year. I don't know, but I've used that and people are like, you're right. You know, so I've passed it forward for sure. And you know what? I realized at one point too, that I can be, I can, 
I can laugh with my kids and my family. I can talk. I can listen. I can dance. I can hug. I can make jokes. I can love. I can hug. And I can live, you know, as a blind woman, blind mom, you know, I can. I really, really can. And it took me a lot. It took me a while to figure that out. And it was, it was like, wow, I can still do all this other stuff. That's me. That's Maria. That's, that's Maria. I didn't lose Maria when I thought I did. And she just, I just had to uncover a bunch of crap, you know, that piled on me and realize, you know what? Some of the best things in life you don't need vision for. You don't. Now, a good road trip, you know, driving a good road trip to them, you know, that does take vision. But hey, you know what? More importantly, I can sit on the bed with my kids and have, you know, girl talk, boy talk, you know, kid talk. Um, I can sit on the uh, patio outside with my girlfriends and laugh and have a glass of wine and enjoy their company. Um, I can do all of that. And that doesn't require vision. And that's pretty damn important. And, you know, and that really has gotten me through a lot of those times where I think um, I can't do it. And I think that is very important to have that ability to take the time, have the patience and the sense of humor. People that have known me for a long time know that that's my blindness mantra is patience and a sense of humor. And so to be able to take a step back and be patient and say, I didn't lose myself, I just lost my vision. And how does that change? What does that change? And as you talked about, working with your family, working with your friends, even going to therapy, the people that you were training in group uh, in group fitness, having that support system around you is you know magnificent magnificent in and of itself. That's That's something that you just can't trade for anything. But then to have that moment for yourself to find, okay, wait a minute. I am still that same person. I still can do all these things. I might need a little modification. I might need to do it a little differently. Yes, I can't drive anymore, but there, you know, there's so many other things I can still participate in maybe slightly differently, but I can to, to come to that, uh, isn't easy for a lot of people. And there's anxiety and depression and a whole bunch of things that go into that for different people in different situations. But you know, you talking about getting to that moment, I think is very important. And I know that one of the things that really helped you as an outlet, which takes us to, well, will take us into where you are today. But the beginning of that was finding an outlet in blogging. Tell me about that. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> pretty quickly after I was diagnosed, um, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't really tell, you know, tons of people, you know, and you, you have to tell people in your own time, obviously, you know, once you kind of get your, you know, facts straight and all that kind of thing. And, um, and of course I was thinking like, I'm going to handle this all by myself and, you know, this is going to be fine. Um, until it wasn't, you know, until that last day I drove my car and, you know, how those realities that hit you. Um, I, you know, I, I wanted to tell people what was going on and people wanted to know what was going on because I had had this, you know, eight month mystery tour. Now people were like, well, well, what is it? Like, what's wrong? And so I, you know, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I could blog. Now I'd always wanted to blog Tim about health and fitness and I just never put the time into it. Um, I just never did it. I was, ah, I'll do it another day. Well, of course, you know, I choose 
going blind to write a blog? Like, could I make it any harder? (laughs) I mean, seriously, really, can I make it any harder? So I kind of toyed around with the idea and I thought, well, one of the reasons I, I wanted to do it was I thought it'd be cool for one, but two is, you know, instead of writing it all over social media and we all have those friends who just put all their business on social media and you're like, Oh, there they go again. You know, Oh, there they go again. And it's like, okay, okay, enough already. You know, we know, we know, we know. And I didn't want to be the person writing all my woes and my issues on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it was. I didn't want to be that. I thought, well, if I wrote a blog, I can write the blog and then I can do a Facebook post as soon as I can figure out how to do that because I don't hardly knew how to do that then. Um, and I could put a link and then they could click the link and go to my blog and it's not all clogging up the news feed and being one of those people. I mean, honestly, that sounds so, you know, so shallow, but that was one of the reasons I didn't want to be the person putting all my woes and pity parties it on makes Facebook. Sense, yeah. yeah. Cause Lord knows I had a lot of pity parties to come. You know, I didn't know how many, but you know, I had a lot coming for sure. So I decided to do this blog and I had a friend who was actually one of my students at the gym, but I've known her for years. And I asked her, her opinion. She's a graphic designer by trade. And I said, Hey, you know, what's the best blogging platform? And she said, well, you know, I've, you know, done help design blogs and things on WordPress. I'm like, Oh, okay, great. And she called me about a day later and she goes, I want to do, I want to design your blog site for you. I'm like, Oh no, 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 I couldn't, you know, no, no, no. You're, you know, I can't do that and I'll figure it out. Don't worry. You know, and she goes, no, no, no. I want to do this for you. Again, it was one of those moments of you've done so much for me. I want to do this for you. Sure, right. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure enough. She designs the blog as it is today. Um, first shot out of the gate and I fell in love with it. And I'm like, this is perfect. It's perfect, perfect. Don't change a thing. And um, and that's how that got started. And then I wrote my first blog. And I launched it uh, January 2014. And I think the title of my first blog was Ready or Not, Here I Come. Because I was kind of <laughs> coming out of the closet. You know, I was coming out of the LH1 closet and going, okay, hey, guys, this is what's going on. Some of you know, some of you don't. And this is the deal. And it sucks. And, but I'm living through it and I'm going blind and that's it. So I pushed, press publish. And I think, and even so with every blog, I press publish going, Oh God, is this a, you know, is this going to go downhill or is this a good one? I don't know. But this one I really hoped would be good and well, um, and well taken and, and, uh, people would like it and come back and, you know, and I could continue this. I had no idea. So it was huge, huge, huge response. I mean, out of the woodwork, people came to tell me how much they loved it, thanking me. Um, it was fantastic. They loved my writing style, all of the above. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do some more of this. This is awesome. And um, I have continued ever since. So now I'm uh, into my, gosh, what, third year three and a half years. I think I have something like 82 blogs, um, that stem from the darkest, darkest moments of my life in a blog. And it's out there 
then fast forward, you know, kind of going through the learning phases. And now I'm every now and then I write a, you know, kind of more of an educational one, like, Hey, you know what things I didn't want to hear in my first, you know, first, uh, early stages of vision loss, you know, cause you know, there are those phrases that people say. So I like, now I feel comfortable enough to write something like that and put it out there. Cause now I feel like I know what I'm talking about. Is it fair to say that the beginnings of the blog were more to help yourself and help yourself through those times? And now the blog has transitioned into helping other people? Yes, I would say that's a totally fair statement. Um, I would write a blog and in the beginning and there would be just this urge for me to write this, get out like some sadness and angst and, you know, whatever it was, this grief and, and just put it out there, what it was and the feelings and describe it. And I, I would cry through some of the blogs because it would be so hard to write, but I had to do it. And so, yes, therapeutic for sure. Now putting, putting some of these out there, I thought, this is too horrible. I, I, this is so sad and awful and it's hard and it's, it really, it's the real deal. I, I don't, it's all my stuff's real deal. You know, it, it's a real, and, but I put them out there and those blogs, Tim, were some of my biggest sellers. <laughs> they were some of the most hit blogs because they were real and genuine. And people are like, thank you for telling us what you're really going through. You're not sugarcoating this. And the people that were also going through these dark times, be it, you know, recently diagnosed with any kind of vision loss, or maybe, um, they're, you know, still like a year in or something like that. They're like, yes, thank you. Cause that's how it feels. And I thank you for putting it into writing. And again, that would spur me to do it again, but they did get lighter as I've gone on, as you were saying, they have gotten much lighter. I don't really write the dark ones anymore. I'll share them because, you know, I want people to know where I've come from. You know, I, I didn't just drop in at, you know, year three and, and start writing this blog. Um, I want people to know where I came from on this blog because sometimes people don't understand where I came from on this blog and they think I just write a blog and, you know, sometimes I get the haters and, and they think like, what are you talking about? How do you know? Blah, blah, blah. You, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you don't know where I've, where I've come from. Um, you don't know that I lost later vision later in life unexpectedly. And so anyway, um, you know, my blogs really do go all over the place. They hit all kinds of topics. Um, I also highlight, um, other folks in the LHN community. They may write something that I read and I kind of go, Hey, do you mind if I kind of use that as a, you know, like a spotlight, like you do as a highlight, or I call it reflections of LHN life. Um, by these people there, of course, they always say yes. So I, I sometimes do that or I sometimes will find another blogger and I want to share their blog. And I think it's like a really good one about, you know, the white cane or, uh, myths about blindness, whatever it might be, you know, there are millions out there and I'll contact them and I'll say, Hey, I really, really like this blog. Would you mind if I, you know, reposted it on my blog site? Again, I've always gotten a yes. Um, I always get approval. <laughs> I never just do it you know, uh, just do it. You know, you always get approval, uh, always get permission. And, um, so I've been able to mix it up a little bit uh, more again in the, you know, fast forwarding to now I, I'm able to mix it up a little bit more with some, uh, other people's stuff. And, you know, I get inspired by other blind bloggers. Um, 
you've talked to several of them, you know, Blind Motherhood, uh, Bovine Beauty, um, and um, I've connected with some of them, and I, you know, they've been great mentors. We've traded ideas, traded um, secrets and tips and tricks, and you know, it, you know, it's a great blogging community that I've found myself in, and um, so that's how it all got started, and and that's really opened up a lot of other things for opportunities for me. And that's what I want to talk about next, because when you're coming from blogging, where, like you said, you start off really more for yourself to put your heart and soul into this and really just use it as an outlet for yourself and, you know, happen to be that you found that in a sense you weren't alone. And then the people reading your blog are like, Hey, I'm not alone. Uh, and then, so you, you kind of bring together these people through your blog. And over time, as you said, it got lighter and lighter and, and, uh, you found yourself writing things more, um, yeah, still maybe help yourself, but to help other people as well and put that out there, and that affords you more opportunity, as you said. So talk with me now about where you are today and the just plethora of different opportunities that uh, that your blog and, and your situation in your life has brought you to. Yeah, you know, um, you know, besides still teaching and and um, doing some volunteer work, um, you know, I, I have. I, uh, I do some volunteer work at the Braille Institute here in San Diego. Um, I actually um, teach, um, volu- you know, voluntary. I teach classes over there. Um, every semester it's kind of different. Um, I am a student also, so I take courses there, um, not only like cooking and independent living skills and all the usual stuff that everyone offers, but um, there's a lot of other classes they offer, just enrichment-type classes. Um, and um, I, I kind of I do that once a week, but I also – teach a class. I teach a health and fitness class with another gentleman there. So I am able able to take my health and fitness and bring it into the blind community. Um, You know, very low, you know, very small, you know, small level. It's not a big deal. You know, um, a lot of the folks there are older and, you know, so, um, you know, it's just, it's just, I just dabble in it, if you will. But, you know, they seem to like it. And um, I've met a lot of great people there. So, you know, I do volunteer there. And I'm a student once a week. Um, I also started doing a podcast about, gosh, I'm going to say almost two years ago, one and a half years ago. I'm not exactly sure. But I started doing a, a podcast called the LHON Report, which was, you know, not not intentionally geared towards the LHON community, although we, um, my podcast co-host, uh, Brian Boros and I, we do do interviews of people in the LHN community uh, internationally. We've had people from all over the world on the podcast. But we also talk about, you know, just like you do, just basic, you know, what's new and what's latest and greatest in the world of, you know, the, the blind and visually impaired uh, stories we want to tell, you know, like any other podcast. So I've been doing that one along the way. And that one's the one that kind of got my feet wet in podcasting. And, um, and then I started getting the calls and um, started getting contacted on social media and going, Hey, you know what? You know, we, we want to talk to you. And my, the first time that happened was with RNIB connect radio in the UK. And I was found on Twitter by one of their producers and he saw that I was a fitness instructor and he said, Hey, we're looking for new content. Would you come on our, and be an American contributor and talk about fitness and maybe, you know, Maybe we could talk about how you can do fitness in your own in your homes for people who are blind, vision impaired, who can't you know can't get to places to go work out or whatnot. And all. Well, it took me about a minute, and I was like, hmm, uh, yes, and yes, and yes, <laughs> and uh, I didn't, you know, it wasn't one of those like I'll let that sit and wait, like I'm not too anxious. Oh no, no, no. I apply. I replied like within five minutes. I'm like, 
I'm on. I what know do that I feeling. I, I, I had yeah. the same response when RNIB came calling to me and asked me to be on Tech Talk. Very same thing. Uh, like, hmm, let me think about that. Uh, yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Both you and I are, are RNIB Connect Radio contributors. And as you do, I absolutely love it. Um, now, I don't do a fitness segment so much anymore. It was called Focus on Fitness. And I did about 12 um, segments, episodes of that. And, um, and then it kind of just it kind of changed. I actually changed co uh, hosts or presenters. They call them over there. I changed presenters and, um, you know, I'm on there one day a week and we decided to turn it more into just, you know, chatting with girl gone blind. And, you know, they're huge supporters over there of my blog. They're just, they, you know, they just love the way girl gone blind talks. They love that American accent over there. They just really do. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't have an accent. They're like, Oh yes, you do. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So, so now I do it once a week. Um, I do just chatting with Girl Gone Blind, and I talk with another gal there who's also blind from uh, diabetes, blind for 20 years, and we just have we just connected and we have a great time chatting uh, one day a week on, on just blind whatever you know things you know that the blind vision impaired deal with um, you know um, anything you know we come up we come up with pretty good stuff that's all I could say pretty good stuff so I love that so that was an opportunity and I absolutely it's a highlight of my week. Um, but I've also been, um, like on this um, podcast, Tim, I've also been a guest on many podcasts, like way more than I ever dreamed of. And, you know, some of those have happened by just people finding me or hearing me on another podcast. But you know what? I'm not shy. <laughs> I've reached no. out. No, <laughs> I've reached. I know. I know. I know. I, I do come off kind of shy. Um, I, I've reached out. And I said, hey, you know, I've listened to your podcast. You know, if there's ever an opportunity, you know, I'd love to be a guest if you'd, you know, ever like to have me. And usually the response is pretty quick, like, yeah, let's talk. So, I mean, I haven't run into somebody who goes, uh, no. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm flattered and I'm thrilled. And you know what? Like, like Tim, as you know, and, and many folks out there, you know what? If you don't put yourself out there, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, you're really not going to get anywhere. And I think I love doing all this stuff now. And I've been asked to actually do um, some more regular work on some of the other podcasts, which I'm all I'm all about. And, you know, as our good friend Derek Daniel says, Maria, you need to start your own podcast. When are you starting your own podcast? And I'm like, oh, I really want to start my own podcast. I really want like Girl Gone Blind, you know, hour or radio or whatever. I wouldn't say hour because God knows I'll go like an hour and a half. But <laughs> <laughs> so it wouldn't fit. But, you know, just Girl Gone Blind. Um, I would love to. But, you know, again, like everything else, you know, I'm still learning so many tricks of the trade here, um, you know, with, the, with you know, just um, – being guests on podcasts and doing my own, po my other podcasts that I do and my blogging and, you know, Twitter and, you know, all the things we have to keep up on, you know, um, I'm still learning to do a lot of things, you know, blind. So it's baby steps, you know, it really is baby steps. But, um, the other opportunity that I love, love, love doing is that I, um, now in the last, I've done the last four times, I now help um, organize and, um, put on, present a annual LHON conference. And that has been absolutely one of the best things that's happened to me, um, is that coordinating this conference 
along with uh, a gal named Lissa, who is a huge advocate uh, in our community. She cited her son uh, is affected by LHON. And we have grown this conference up to almost 150 people. Um, we present an entire day of not only doctors and scientists and world-renowned, we have top doctors, top neuro-ophthalmologists from around the world come, and to mobility, and orientation mobility, job connections, you know, how to, you know, employment. Um, uh, I just did a, we just had it, and I just did a whole segment on podcasts and blogs, and, you know, um, there's there's more out there than just scientific, you know, journals and medical updates, um, you know, all the way to, emotional, uh, the emotional toll on, uh, vision loss. So, you know, it's a great conference and people love it. And the best part about it, Tim, is we bring people and families that are affected or, or in the LHN community together in one place. And last, this past June, we had 40 affected people in one place that never happens. I'm sure not. No, it never happens. So it's like a family reunion a family you never knew you had, but but you do, because we all have this DNA mutation that has caused you know our families to not just be carriers or to be affected. So it, that's the best part because that's where you get to meet people. You're putting you're putting people to names, and I can say faces because I can't see their faces, <laughs> but you're right. putting a person to a name that you may have seen on Facebook, you may have heard on a. Um, on a conference call that I also host, it just goes on and on. But these people, you know, get these connections and it's, it's a whole nother bond. And it almost brings people just to life, knowing that they're, they're with their tribe, if you will. They're like, I'm with my people. And I've had a mother just this last conference tell me that her son was there, it only been affected a year, that she saw a change in her son after the first day, overnight saw a change in her son, more positive, more happy, because he was with people that he knew he was going to be okay, because we were all going, we're okay, we're having fun, we're doing this. And he knew he was going to be okay. And she said, I've seen a change in him in less than 24 hours of being at this conference. And Mm -hmm. that's why I do it. Um, That's why I love connecting people in the community. Um, I I love it. I absolutely love it. And um, we've joked, my friend Lisa and I, who's the other advocate, we're like matchmakers, like, huh, I know who I'm going to have you talk to now because you're the same age and you're around the same, you know, doing the same thing. And, you know, uh, you know, people need support. And that's looping back to what you're talking about. You know, you need that support. And so many people, Tim, don't have it, whether, you know, their family, their friends all seem to disappear. I've heard the stories. They disappear on them, and I think the friends get scared. They don't know what to do with a blind person. Um, families may not want to deal with it. They put their head in the sand. They're like, hey, that's not happening to me. I don't want to know anything about it, nothing. So don't talk to me. Um, I've heard these stories. And so sometimes the LHON, other LHON families and people are all these that some people have. And um, you know, so we try and keep that family really tight and connected in, in any way we can through Facebook, social media, uh, live conference calls that we have once a month, um, and this conference. Um, it's like a once-a-year reunion that we really look forward to. It really is what it's all about, like you talk about being able to reach out and share your experiences. I mean, you've only been going through this now for about four years or so yourself, and you still have 
plenty that you can share with other people. You've been through the good, the bad, and the ugly of it and continue to. And so to be able to to take and and share any of those experiences with anybody and be able to show them, hey, I've been through this. Look at all these other people that have been through this. We, you know, if we can do it, so can you. And here's how we can help you. And here's what we can do to help you. And, and to show them that there can be, you know, there can be a, a life after blindness. <laughs> uh, a life, you, yes, a life after blindness yeah. and, a, and a life after blindness that you're happy and you can laugh and kind of going back. We can laugh, we can cry, we can talk, we can listen, we can hug, we can, you know, we can hang out, um, all of those things. And, you know, I um, and, and just even with podcasting for folks like you, Tim, who are putting out these podcasts, you know, you're also showing the blind community and hopefully the sighted community that stumble upon these um, podcast episodes that, you know, geez, look at these blind people doing all this great stuff. You know, wow, they can blind people can do a lot of things. And they can also do a lot of things that we were doing before we lost our vision for those of us that lost our vision later age. But you're you're bringing awareness to it and you're, you know, you're doing your support through a podcast. And I know that folks who may not be as <clears throat> extroverted or out there as me, um, <laughs> that's what they do. They rely on these podcasts as their form of support. Um, you know, it's a huge, it's, I mean, it's a huge platform and there's lots out there and there's lots of blind related podcasts, but they're all so very different. They're all really, really different. And that's the cool thing. And you all bring your, um, your, your information and, and interviews and, and support and tech talks and all that in different ways. And, um, and people, you know, that's how a lot of people learn that one, like you said, we're not alone. And two, what's the latest and greatest and what's happening. And, um, and you learn stuff, you know? So, you know, everyone is, you know, when you step up and do your part, um, that's what has given me purpose, has given me a sense of, of belonging and a sense of, um, you know, confidence. And I've rebuilt myself. I, I feel like I've rebuilt myself, you know, again, having to reinvent myself again as, um, as girl gone blind. And, um, you know, it's, it's been the hardest reinvention yet. I'll tell you that. It has been the hardest reinvention. And I am, I am not done. Um, and I don't know, are we ever done, Tim? Are we ever done adjusting and learning about how to live this life? I don't know. Um, so far, I'm not done. That's for sure. No, I totally agree. I don't think I'm done. I won't be done until the day they, they bury me because it's a constant learning experience. There's constantly things to to digest and understand and to learn and to teach. And as you were talking about before, the different podcasts, I appreciate what you were saying there. There, there is something out there for everybody, especially in the blind community. There's so many different outlets, be it a blog, be it a podcast, be it, you know, Facebook groups, whatever it might be. Thankfully, there's so many different ways to seek help or to seek advice or to find where you may fit. And that's why I like telling a story like your, your own, because it came full circle. As we talked about in the beginning, uh, you know, talking about your journalism interest and background and getting into the fields that you did with graphical design and, and all that kind of thing and sales. And then here you are post vision loss, really adapting those interests, adapting those skills and that creativity and bringing it full circle to now 
blogging and reaching out to people and being creative on podcasts and in radio and in your convention that you put together. And so seeing someone's, someone's story come full circle like that, especially somebody who's lost vision later in life where they said, you know what, this is who I was before. I'm still that person. I just have to find how to do it differently. And so I, I like to speak with people like yourself that we can, we can paint that picture for people. I know I use that phrase a lot. People that hear these spotlights hear me say that a lot, but it's, but it's the best way to say it is that we're really painting that picture of when you go through vision loss, or even if you were somebody who lost vision at birth, it doesn't mean that you can't still live a full enabled life. As people know, I'll paraphrase, you know, life after blindness, the purpose is to explore an enabled life with blindness. Ever since I heard someone speak on that, uh, talking about disability, no, let's look at enabled, you know, rather than disabled uh, and look at the positives. And and that's what I like to do. And I know that you do so well with your blog and your podcast. And so um, I appreciate having someone like you come on and talk with me. And as we're wrapping up here, that brings me to my final question, one of my favorite questions to ask people is listeners to the, the regular podcast know. We have a segment where we talk about because of your blindness or because of my blindness, what has happened to you that maybe hadn't otherwise happened, uh, something positive, something inspirational that uh, maybe wouldn't have otherwise happened to you. And so, Marie, if you could tell me your because of my blindness story. Well... Let's see. We've already talked about the blog till, you know, we've kind of beat that to death here. Um, and, you know, I'll go on and on about my blog. I mean, why wouldn't I? Um, but as you were kind of prepping the question there, um, I thought because of my blindness, I have discovered how strong of a person I am. I really am. And to get through some of these really difficult times, I had to dig so deep, Tim, into the abyss of my soul where the glowing creatures live, I mean, like where nobody goes, to find enough strength to get through some of the most darkest moments of my life. And I'll tell you, you know, when you have to go down, as down as I have, um, realizing that your life is now completely different and you're going to have to figure this out, you go down hard and you go down for a while and it takes so much strength to crawl and to pull yourself back up each and every time. But each and every time I did, you know, I, I was like, wow, okay, I made it. I made it. And I almost would look, I almost felt amazed at myself for like, wow, I can't believe I got through that, that moment, that week, that hour, whatever it was. And I honestly, Tim, I just didn't know that I had it in me to get through this. And I know that may not be, this may not be your typical because of my blindness story, but that is truly, truly what I discovered. And I think that a lot of people that go through this type of thing, um, and it could be any kind of, you know, like I said, life-changing event, you know, you do discover who, what you're really made of. Um, your, the courage, the courage to go out by myself and uh, go to the bank by myself, something I've done a million times. But the courage I found, the strength I found, the mental strength I found to do that was so huge in my life. And it was such 
and it helped those things have helped me to accomplish the things that I've needed to accomplish to get to where I am today. Four years later, living a pretty okay life. There's again, like I said, I've said to you before, Tim, and other talks we've had, you know, it's I still have a lot to do, but I would not have been able to get through this, this <laughs> um, blindness, if you will, if I hadn't been able to dig down as deep as I did and pull up what whatever I could to to get me through um, the really really tough times, and um, and I always hope that other folks can do that and not everybody can. And I am thankful, so thankful that I was able to do that. And, um, uh, wow. You know, cause it's that one time that you can't and it's, you know, it's bad news. So, um, you know, I discovered, you know, what I was really made of because of my blindness and that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I think that's very well said. That's a fantastic answer um, because it does take quite a bit. It is a very difficult thing, whether it's blindness, whether it's cancer, whether it's you name it, when something like this hits you as hard as it does, as this does, there are going to be dark times. There are going to be hard times. But once you find that strength, and as I talked about before, that patience and that sense of humor eventually, once you find it again, mm-hmm. you do get through it. You do somehow, some way, you, you can get through it. And and as we just said, you know, before, you know, there can be that life after blindness, as I always say. And so um, I think that that's an absolute wonderful way to look at it. And finding that strength, I think, is a, is a beautiful is a beautiful answer. So thank you for that. I want to thank you again so much for coming on, Maria, and sharing your story and helping to inspire our listeners and just walk them through what you've gone through and what you're going through and what we you know, will continue to go through and, and uh, just showing how, how it can be done. It's not always easy. It's, it's not always going to be pretty, but, but it can be done. So I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing that. Uh, if, if anybody would want to get in contact with you, follow you, find you out there in the interwebs, how would they do that, Maria? Well, first of all, thank you, Tim, and I appreciate you having me on. I have enjoyed this. Um, you know, I've joined all the little segments that we've done, and um, you know, I I hope that we'll talk again in the future, and um, you know, we can uh, have some more great conversation as we've had. Absolutely. Well. As you have already asked me, um, let me let you know where people can find me. Um, you can find my blog at girlgoneblind.com. And, of course, you can find me on social media, on Facebook at Girl Gone Blind, on Twitter at girl underscore gone underscore blind, on Instagram at girl gone blind. So any, any of those, contact me. I love being in contact with people. Check it out, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. I'd really appreciate it. Very good. And I definitely encourage everyone to take a moment to check out everything that Maria is doing online with her blog and her podcast and everything else. You definitely will not be disappointed. So again, Maria, thank you so much for coming on. We'll see you again here very soon. It was my pleasure. Thanks again, Tim.